you to stand as you're able for the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory, Glory to you, Lord, Lord Christ. Christ. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the weirdest um, texts in all of Scripture because it offers this vision of the world that is very counter to the advice that we normally get from people that have a lot of wisdom and strength. Uh, and yet it's sometimes hard to put it all together. Is Jesus commanding all of his followers to do this? And then when you read some of the things that he says for his followers to do, or that his followers will do, it seems like a pretty tall order. And yet, this, the way he starts it, this blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the ones who don't have a lot, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. This, this uh, Sermon on the Mount is a way of escaping from the crowds that are following Jesus. Jesus was immensely popular, um, mainly, I think, as I read it, because he challenged the authority structure of the day in a way that nobody else had. They said he taught with authority, not as the scribes. He was not uh, a pure academic that presented two or three different opinions and let you choose one. He said the way it was. And he especially called out the abuses of power that were happening all around him in his day that happened in our day as well. So people were attracted to that message and they came from all over to hear him. And as soon as they do, he goes up on the mountain to get a little distance, to, come, to say these kinds of things that don't always make a lot of sense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, almost as if we had a, a spiritual bank account, and it was in the negative. Um, don't you love how when you get, like, your bank account gets so low that it gets overdrawn, they give you fees for that? Like, as if that's, you know, something that's going to fix it. Um, it's kind of the opposite of the problem. And yet, the poor and those who are poor in spirit are deficient in the funds, the spiritual funds that you need to get through life. The word spirit is related to the word breath. It's also related to the word spirit for drinking. Um, we wine and spirit shop. 
There's this idea that we are animated with alcohol in a way that we aren't normally in life. It gives us some joy, maybe, for a time. Um, <laughs> has a way of kind of diminishing rapidly. But there's that spirit that, that animates a person. And there's also the, the idea of this breath, the spirit, the breath, the wind that we have to kind of get through life. Did you wake up this morning with a lot of spirit? I think one of the ways we maybe think of this word is in high school, we had pep rallies where, you know, I've got spirit, how, you know, do you, how does it go? You know the cheer. Um, this idea of spirit is life, breath, wind, the ability to get up and go. And we don't have a lot of that every day. When we're wearied by the changes and chances of life, we, we think about reality around us. We hear of another, uh, a, another black man killed by the police, and we think, is this ever going to end? Is this ever going to be different? Is this always going to be this way? It's overwhelming. That's just one example of the millions of things that can overwhelm us that we take in from the news every day. Then the stuff inside us, too, that seems to weigh us down, to make us poor in spirit. Jesus is not telling people who have it all together how to kind of dial it down. He's talking to people who are poor in spirit because they're beat down because they're oppressed, because they live under the weight of a Roman occupation that has taken away their political agency and power. The people he's talking to are poor in spirit already. And he's saying that they are the blessed ones, not the ones who sit in positions of power and prestige and influence. It's not those who have the blessing of God. It's the people who are under the pile, who are weighed down by life, who are about to give up, who are about to quit and are there to listen to Jesus because they have nothing better to do with their life. They are the ones that are willing to waste the time to go out on a mountain and listen to Jesus talk because they have nothing, they have no other options. These are the people who are blessed, he says. We read this text through a post-traumatic lens that's informed by the traumas around us and in the world. We can see how this would make sense and resonate with them and I hope with us. Um, there's a whole movement, I don't know if you follow it, about telling young men how to be real men in this country. And we're at a crisis point in this country when it comes to how men should behave and how men should act and what it means to be a man in this world. We're at a, a very a big crisis point. There's a lot of cultural factors that have led to this moment in time, but it's a really weird time to be a 47-year-old man. And look at the young men that I know, I know a few, um, who are susceptible to this message. If you just go on an all-meat diet, your life will somehow become manly, and you'll have the strength to get through. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Um, if you just uh, stop wearing clothes and sun yourself more, you're going to be a lot healthier. Get rid of the seed oils in your life. Um, these are just the, the, the most benign of the thing, advice given to young men. Uh, there's more that they, could, that they say that will make you a real man give you that strength in this world. Ultimately, a lot of it has to do with how you have power over other people, how you get women to want you. This is the, the message that is being sold day after day and day. And when I get to the Sermon on the Mount, I read Jesus' words, he's saying the opposite of what all these men are saying to younger men and men their age, what it means to be a man. What Jesus is saying is if you want to be a man, if you want to be a person, you got to do what I'm doing. Ultimately, all the stuff that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount happens to him. 
It happens to him. He is poor in spirit. When he gets to the end, he says, Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. The word there, persecuted, has a, is more about being chased or hunted. When someone's out to get you. Someone's out to destroy you. Um, and Christians and the early followers of Jesus would have known this experience all too well. What it's like to be hunted and pursued by someone who wants to do them harm. Ultimately, this is what happens to Jesus himself. He is hunted and pursued. He is persecuted. He is abused. He is put on a cross to hang naked between earth and sky, shamed by the world and the powers of his day. And that is what it means to be a person in this world. That is what it means to be a man, according to Jesus, to have that kind of self-sacrificial experience. It is not to assert our power with our strength over others. It is to really follow Jesus in this way of offering our lives as a sacrifice for others. That is what Jesus calls us to today. And the church embodies that with all of our failures and troubles and all of our shame that we bring to Jesus, all those things that we bring to God. That is when we're really the most blessed. And ultimately, when we look at the setbacks in our life, and not, we don't ignore them, we stare at them in the face, and we say, that's me, I've had that happen to me. That has happened to me. And I'm going to, instead of ignoring that, instead of um, pretending it didn't happen, and pretending I'm strong and capable and don't have any problems, I'm going to give that to God, because that's when I'm closest to God. That in those moments of suffering and pain and grief and loss, those are the moments when we are the most blessed because we are the most like Jesus himself, who experienced all of that for us. That is what the church is, is a community that embodies the blessedness of being poor in spirit, the blessedness of mourning. We are a grieving planet. We are people that grieve. Um, I wish someone had told me earlier in life that grief was just sort of a normal thing that I was going to experience for the rest of my life, that that was just going to be normal. Um, I wish somebody had said that. I wish some of the men in my life had said that. Because a lot of um, men's issues relate to poorly processed grief. That's what it is. C.S. Lewis helped me a little bit when he wrote his book, A Grief Observed. He said, I never knew that, that grief felt so much like fear. And that helped me a lot when I experienced grief for the first time. I mean, real grief. That makes you, like, your stomach, like, go weird, you know? I don't know if you've ever had one of those, where it's like, oh, I can feel that in my chest. That's weird. That's why they call it heartache. I was pretty young when that happened, and that, that experience, I've never forgotten it. But he said, I, I, I never knew that grief felt so much like fear. To be afraid is a scary thing when we're told that we are to be strong in the world. We're supposed to have power over others. He wrote that book, A Grief Observed, after his wife died of cancer, and she died. And he felt that grief and pain and that loss. And he was so um, worried that people would think bad about him for having grief and pain and a raw emotions about where, what God was doing to him and the, the hiddenness of God and the silence of God in that grief that he published the book under a fake name. Uh, even though he was a really famous author and he could have made more money probably if he had published it with his own name. But he didn't because he didn't want anybody to think that he was scared a combat veteran from World War I who had been through a lot in life was scared, scared of grief, scared of loss. And so much of men's issues and human issues on this planet do with the way we deal with fear and grief and anxiety 
And Jesus calls us to be brave, but not brave in the way that ignores reality. Be brave in a way that is honest about reality. To know that we are the most blessed when we are there under the pile, when we're feeling it the most. That is what Jesus offers, because that's what he did for us. And that's why this community is here today. Because we know, you know, that Jesus has done that for you. And that he offers his life to us in the sacrament of his body and blood. He gives that life to us. And that life that he experienced on this earth, the life of suffering and pain and grief and loss, becomes part of our life. And that's where we get the power. That's where we get the spirit back that gives us breath to run the race with endurance. Not with bravado or bluster, but with great love. Sacrificial love, caring love, generous love. That is what Jesus calls us to do. And that is the way to be alive, the most alive today. Amen.